A coffin is something small and sacred that contains a human being that no longer belongs to this world. We only see a body in the physical remains of what we knew about the person that's no longer with us. Once it's closed, we can only see a brown and brightened paint that will be buried in order to be forgotten after two, three, or maybe ten years in a cemetery. But what we don't know is what happens inside that coffin. Thousands of worms eat the flesh, bones, and enjoy the immense and rotten meals surrounded by that rotting wood that will be crushed sooner or later by the passing time and the heaviness of the dirt upon it. Maybe some of the skeleton will survive, covered by the dirtiness and excrement from those animals that love to feast themselves from the dead. Nevertheless, we never get to see that. We only see a small picture next to our telephone in our living room. In some cases, institutions are kind of like that. They're made of beautiful facades, gardens, and good workers that will never say anything wrong about them, and usually a leader, a famous doctor that saved hundreds of lives or maybe lost hundreds of them. It doesn't matter. But the truth is that there's something else behind those walls. There's a different type of hell, something we've never seen before. Once we're inside, we never come back. I wish I had digested this before. I wish I had known and accepted it before I put my feet in there. But it's too late now. I can't do anything about it anymore. I spent some time in France, around five years. I went there to get a PhD in modern languages. I had a great time with everything that France could offer me. Plenty of good memories, but also plenty of bad memories. During the first few years, I was just a normal student who loved going to college, spending time with my friends, and then going back to sleep in my apartment. I was having fun, and I learned so many things. Not only from what I was studying, but also the people and the cultures as well. Time passed and I started drinking, going to parties, and doing other stuff that I don't feel really proud of. But it doesn't matter anymore. When I finished everything and got my PhD, I was ready to return. I had nothing else to do in France. Nevertheless, I started counting plenty of reasons to go home. Life in France was not my favorite lifestyle, to be honest. But at some point... I got a call from my mom in which she stated something that alarmed me. Something that made me recognize that there was something wrong and, probably, my mom was not really aware of. From that call, the only message I remembered was this. Hi Michael, I wish you were here. I've been waiting for you since you left. Now I feel lonelier than ever because your sister had been sent to a ward. She'll be okay, she just needs to recover. I remember I hung up, looked at the telephone with a scared glance. Then I looked at my luggage, my degree, and then I decided to go back home. Because that voice was not the same as I left five years ago. Once I finished everything I had to do, 
and I took my things, booked a flight, and went straight to the airport. I needed to save my sister, or maybe I was on my way to lose myself. I was, during the entire flight, overthinking about what had happened, why my sister was sent there, and most importantly, when I was ever going to see her again. I was very close to my sister ever since we were little kids. I was never that type of brother who pushed my sister away and just made my own life. I had her with me every single time, every single day, and she joined me whenever I made plans with friends. When I arrived back at my hometown, I took a cab to my house. I had something inside of me telling me that there was something wrong, and when I opened the door, my mom welcomed me. I noticed that this whole thing was bigger and worse than what I had thought. The voice I heard through the telephone the last time she called me matched perfectly to what I had in front of me. She looked way older than before, and even though she was smiling, I could read in her eyes the immense sadness that she was feeling. Where's my sister? I asked. She's going to be okay, son. Don't worry. Go to your room and rest a little bit. You need it. Come on, she said. There was something in her eyes, not only sadness, but she was also scared. I couldn't know back then what it was, though. I started to get nervous, but I knew I had to calm down because if I continued asking about my sister, she was not going to tell me anything. I went to my room, put my luggage in there, and I sat on the bed. I was staring at the ground and thinking about her. When she was born, I knew she had a neurological problem. She learned slower than the other kids, but that didn't mean she was not intelligent. She was actually smarter than other kids, including me. Her condition was never a problem, and my family always treated that with medicine since day one. So, when growing up, she never had any sort of troubles regarding her condition. She grew up just like any other normal girl. I think I should have noticed that some things were changing though, because I received letters from my family, and of course, from her. The first letters were totally normal. Hi brother, I miss you so much. I've been reading a lot and learning French too, so when you come back, we could talk about secrets in another language. I love you. But things started to change. Maybe I was too busy getting drunk and hooking up with girls because I didn't notice these changes until I got home. Her letters changed. The signature was actually different, as though she was shaking and the messages were incomplete. Hi brother, I miss you so much. I'm still... I asked my mother why these letters were like that. Incomplete and strange, and the only response my mother gave me was, she must have forgotten or maybe she was too distracted. Don't worry, she's okay. This started to happen exactly one year before I got my PhD. I even started thinking that my mom had something to do with all of this, but I didn't dare to ask her. My mother could have never done anything wrong to my sister. I stood up and started walking around my room, I had a couple of pictures in there from seven years ago, and I saw my sister smiling and being as happy as she always was. 
The contradiction struck me, though. How did the smile become the letters I recently received? This was the question I didn't know how to answer. I spent around three hours in my room just overthinking about everything that had happened, about that horrible news I received. I went downstairs and decided to talk to my mom, but I decided to do it in a relaxing way so she wouldn't feel any sort of pressure. My mom was baking a cake for me. She was in the kitchen and she didn't hear my footsteps. In the living room, next to the table, under some paintings, I found more recent pictures of my sister, and I noticed the transformation. I saw what my sister was, what she became when I left, and what the sanatorium did to her. I started breathing deeply, desperately, and my mom turned her head and came over to me. What happened, son? What? What? I couldn't even speak. Yes, that's your sister. Isn't she beautiful? She's always been just so beautiful. Mom, where is she? I need to see her. I mean, this is not okay. This... She's in the hospital. It's called Wings of Fate. She'll be okay, son. Don't worry. Well, why is she there? She started having troubles, mental troubles. You know the troubles she had, son. So we just needed a bit more help. We were recommended to that place because Dr. Peterson had done miracles in there. Who is Dr. Peterson? I mean, do I even know him? I mean, how can you send my sister there? Oh my god, mom. Son, you have to relax. But I interrupted her. What is this? I asked. Next to my sister's most recent picture, I found a bottle of pills. They were called Improv. What is this? I asked again. My mom was about to cry, but she finally said, Those are the pills that Dr. Peterson recommended. Your sister was taking those before she was sent there, but I promise you, she'll get better and then she'll be back. When's the last time you saw her? She didn't answer. She only swallowed, and that was the only answer I needed to do something about it. I didn't listen to her pleas to stay as I left through the front door. I got in my car and I started driving towards the sanatorium, Wings of Fate. Now, right now, I know I should have listened to my mom, but it's too late. The hospital was located in the midst of two mountains. I had to drive two hours in order to get there. My car was really awful and slow, so it probably took me almost three hours to get there. Once I got into the mountain and the lonely roads, my heart started to beat faster. My heart started to beat faster. After driving for about an hour, I saw a glimpse of the sanatorium's facade. I saw two towers, brown bricks and shiny windows. I started to get really nervous. While driving, I decided to look for some information about it. The sanatorium, Wings of Fate, was built 400 years ago by a Steve Peterson. It was built in order to keep the patients who were thrown out of regular hospitals. These patients needed a more expensive and really careful treatment. So Dr. Steve 
Peterson decided to do this so he could make a difference in his field. Something that shocked me and became one of my fears was to know that all the patients in there never left. They decided to stay in there because they found more peace and a better treatment in there and not in the outside world. The world that they knew. I mean, I guess it made sense. At the beginning, anyway. But it amazed me that no one suspected anything about it. It also amazed me that no one had any bad comments about the place. There was something odd in there. I had no doubts about that. After a couple of hours, I finally arrived at the sanatorium. In front of me, there was a big garden with hundreds of patients walking by. All of them wore white clothes. Although all of them were smiling, it was like they were looking at nothing. They were lost souls. Next to the huge building, there was a cemetery. I was surprised that it was so small, and I wondered what they did with all the bodies once they had to bury them. I started walking towards the entrance. It was a huge building with two towers and hundreds of windows. Once I stepped inside, I found myself in a huge hall with plenty of nurses walking by, wearing white clothes and carrying stacks of papers and talking about several patients. I walked towards the receptionist. She was a very young lady, although her manners were a bit robotic. Behind her, there was an enormous picture, an old man with glasses and mischievous eyes. Under the picture, it said, Dr. Peterson, 1840 to 1927. It was Dr. Steve Peterson's son. Something struck me about that date, but I couldn't think about it because the receptionist interrupted me. Good morning, sir. How can I help you? Yeah, I came to visit my sister. Who's your sister? It's uh, Lisa. Lisa Davis? Sure. Follow me. We walked around 15 minutes through some more corridors. I began thinking that this was bigger than I had originally thought. Then we finally arrived. The receptionist opened a door, and I finally saw the reason why I returned home. Lisa... Michael. She was on a bed. She couldn't move. She was connected to a huge machine, and through an injection, she received some sort of medicine. How are you? There were two nurses checking some drawers around us, so she whispered in my ear something that I'll never forget. Something that made me feel the need to take her out of there. Michael, listen to me. I have no time. They're going to take me away. You have to do something. The tower. Peterson. What tower? What are they doing to you? She started shaking her head, indicating to me to lower my voice. The two nurses noticed that I was getting frantic, so they grabbed me and took me out of the room. Your time is over, sir, they told me. Through the window, I saw Lisa and she made some signs with the only hand she could move. I was sad and shocked, because that was not the same Lisa I had before moving to France. Although I was feeling a lot of stuff in that moment, 
I knew I had to do something. So I decided to return to my hometown, but I didn't go home. I stayed in the hotel and I waited for nighttime. I felt as though I had one chance, just one opportunity to save her. I came back around midnight. The huge building under the moon drew such a horrifying silhouette on the garden that it didn't resemble a place where patients could get better. It resembled a hell where patients go to suffer. Lisa mentioned the word tower. One of them looked totally abandoned, and so I decided to go to the other one. Luckily, one of the windows were open, so I got in. I found myself in a corridor, a dark one. I couldn't see anything. I could only hear my heartbeats and my breathing. I was so scared because I couldn't hear anything else than myself, and I wondered if this was the very entrance to hell, something I was actually about to confirm. And suddenly, I heard a voice at the end of the aisle. In the darkness, I saw a huge rectangle drawn. It resembled the door. Some machines made a terrible and horrifying sound. I couldn't understand what the voice was saying, but the most horrible sound I have heard just showed up in that moment. A sound that I've grown to know since I was a little kid, now covered with a scary and helpless tone that I will never forget. Michael, my sister screamed. I rapidly opened the door and what I saw was something I couldn't believe. Those glasses and those mischievous eyes were right in front of me. Although he was supposed to be dead, I just couldn't believe it. We know each other, Michael. Well, you know me, I guess. I guess you saw my medicine, improv. And you've seen what it did to all these patients, right? He said. I screamed to leave my sister alone. Don't worry. You don't have to worry, Michael. You see, she won't be alone. She'll be within all of us soon. Do you want to know why? Just look around you, Michael. I looked around, and I was horrified. There were bodies on the wall, preserved in a tank filled with water. I also saw a huge machine in which one of those bodies was dispensed into, destroyed, and after some minutes, they became dust inside of one pill called improv. I breathed hard. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And suddenly, I heard Dr. Peterson's voice behind my ear. You see, Michael, your sister, you, and none of these patients will leave. Nobody leaves. Nobody leaves.